electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. The first trading day of 2024. What a year we're following up. For the NASDAQ 100, what the, was this, the best year since 1999? And what comes in 24? An election. Former Senator Joe Lieberman is hoping to give Americans a third choice, what he's called a unity ticket. I think the American people are really yearning for, almost demanding a third choice. They're fed up with the two major parties. Why he thinks he's got a good shot at turning Washington's tables. Almost half the people in our country today, if you ask them, say they're independents. Pharma giants Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly's weight loss drugs stole the headlines in 2023. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb says there could be more than shedding pounds to look forward to. Combined, both companies have about 15 trials underway looking at secondary benefits of these drugs in diseases that are associated with weight gain. Those stories, plus a big weekend for Michigan Wolverines and X's valuation marked down by over 70 percent. What now? Would Twitter have somehow convinced the market that it was an AI play? It's Tuesday, January 2nd. It's 2024. Wake up. Get back to work. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ stock market in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Mike Santoli and Robert Frank. Joe and Andrew are off today, but Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. We made it. First trading day of the year. Here we go. If you take a look at how the major averages closed out 2023, it was a heck of a year. The Dow was actually up by 13.7%. The S&P was up by 24.2% and the NASDAQ was up by 43.4%. Pretty amazing to see what happened through all of the year. Uh, The Russell 2000 small count index was up by 15.1%. The Dow transports were up by 18.7%. But uh, for the NASDAQ 100, what was this, the best year since 1999? Yeah, the NASDAQ 100, as opposed to the composite, was up something like 54, 55%. What I do find remarkable is you have those amazing calendar years returns in all those indexes and it's almost a perfect two-year round trip i was talking about this last <laughs> week january 3rd of 2022 is when the s p 500 made its all-time high just above 4800 intraday we're at 4770 right now yeah. now that's not to say nothing's happened a lot's happened but i think that the story of last year was mostly stuff we were afraid of didn't happen. (laughs) That was recession. That was the Fed didn't have to jack rates to 6%. The Fed didn't have to put the economy in a real downturn to get inflation down. Inflation came down faster than the economy weakened. And along the way, we also had this yield scare where we thought maybe it was non-fundamental reasons yields were going up. So at this point, I think everyone's like, wow, we kind of made it through. We dodged those bullets. And the consensus is pretty much more of the same, which is soft landing. We avoid recession. Inflation looks like it's yesterday's problem. Is it, um, I mean, it's just so different than what people were thinking at this time last year when everybody was wrong. Yeah, They and, thought and it was going to be a tough year. Yeah. Two years ago, when we went back there, what were interest rates? 
two years ago. Well, so the that's, Fed that's, was still at zero. Yeah. Um, you, pr- you had the 10 years probably under two um, or thereabouts. And so it showed you that over that span of time, you absorbed an earnings downturn that's now ended, it seems, and a 500 and something basis point Fed tightening campaign. Right. Uh, and it's all because inflation, you know, was able to come down uh, faster. Yeah, I was that. looking at the wealth of the wealthiest 500. And <laughs> so in 2022, they you have lost access to those numbers in detail, right? You just <laughs> I do. I do. That's all I do. As the wealth reporter, that's all I do. So in 2022, they lost one point four trillion dollars. Last year, 2023, they gained back one point five trillion dollars. So that was the round trip. Yeah. And, and it just made me realize that's what's happened to markets as well. Exactly. We are also watching the price of crude after Iran dispatched a warship to the Red Sea. WTI up about 2.5% on the morning, still in that low to mid-70s dollar uh, a barrel range. That follows word from the U.S. military on Sunday that its forces destroyed three boats of Iran-backed Houthi rebels in response to a distress call by a cargo ship that was under attack. So this has been, you know, the, the, the oil market's been acting like it's been oversupplied. Obviously, prices uh, pretty much round-tripped all year. But this has been the new element where you wonder exactly how much of a geopolitical premium might have to get back in the Yeah, market. and it's not the first time that they've taken out the Houthi rebels. It's the yeah. first time that one was killed in one of these incursions on one of these, though. Yeah. Fidelity has marked down the value of its shares in X Holdings. That's the company formerly known as Twitter. Fidelity helped Musk buy the company for $44 billion in October of 2022. Uh, Fidelity now values the company at 71.5% less than at the time of purchase, which includes the new cut of 10.7% for the month of November. Remember, in November, owner Elon Musk told advertisers who were boycotting X to go F themselves during Andrew Ross Sorkin's deal book conference. Don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go yourself. But go yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. You know, that deal, October 2022, is when it closed. That was the, the, the bear market low for stocks. Okay. So you've had a 33% gain in the S&P from the low that month, obviously down 70% uh, mark to market in, uh, in, uh, in Twitter and X. And I think Meta is up from like 100 to 350 in that period of time. It was when it closed was at the low, but he had agreed to the price at an early oh, yeah. time. At, at the high. At absolutely. The high. The high. April. It immediately looked like. Right. Uh, of that year, I think. Right. And tried to get out of it. Tried of to course. Get out we of all it remember of, right. the saga. So, yeah. I don't think anybody thought he was getting a good deal, even at purchase. No. Right. So. No. And, and also the question to your point is, would Twitter have somehow convinced the market that it was an AI play? and risen mm. along with these other stocks, or would it still be in the situation that it was before he bought it? Um, That's a good question, because something like Snap, which has also been kind of beleaguered in that group, it's, you know, the stock's up off the lows, but it's not right. done what Meta has done, for example, which is the dominant platform. Right, and the question is, this year, will he continue to fund it, and will he just you know, let it go? Yeah. It's hard to imagine, uh, especially with all the bondholders and the banks that still have all those loans. Um, but at some point, well, it's not just advertisers, though. He's now looking for s- subscribers for the for the customers right. to fund it too, um, for the users yeah. of the service to fund it too, with the uh, paying for the blue check mark or whatever else you might want to do along the way. And he's now worth 
$230 billion again so he can fund losses for a long time yeah. rather than take the shame of shutting it down. I think that's what it'll do. But at, at a certain point... Yeah, Tesla even, shares doubled last year. Yeah, right. so, that's right. Yeah. Even even when you're worth $230 billion, eventually you might not... I mean, if, if these losses are hundreds of millions of dollars a year yeah. and they keep getting worse, what does he eventually yeah, do? Yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos with the Washington Post. I mean, he could right. fund it forever, but yeah. he may not want to. Right. They took away the college football story. Nobody's going to talk about oh. the championship game set. Michigan advancing over Alabama. We're going to see what happens with Incredible this. Game. You've got yeah. Washington surviving uh, that battle with Texas, too. But it does set things up. Yeah. You know, the Alabama the Alabama game may, be, may have been the big one that people were really watching. For. Yeah, and I think ESPN got, you know, got that right, putting yeah. it at five. Yeah, I think so, too. Okay. Oh, they gave it back. <laughs> All right, now the college football. <laughs> college football championship game is set. Michigan needed overtime to advance, beating Alabama 27-20. Washington survived a final drive by Texas to secure its spot in the title game. Quarterback Michael Penix threw for 430 yards in the 37-31 victory. So you're caught up on yeah. the most important story of the weekend. I think this is why a lot of people took today off, too, because they were up watching this stuff yeah i mean i don't think people needed a ton of reasons maybe but um <laughs> i was up michigan at, starts as a favorite for what it's worth. i was yeah. up at 3 30 because rafa nadal was back on the court for the first time in oh, wow. over a year 3 30 this morning it, yep in adelaide australia, australia. Yeah. and you would have been um, up anyway i would have been up absolutely I am, I am a Rafa fan, and wow. he's been out. And the Impressive. question of whether he was going to play this year, the fact that he's back, uh, he was looking good. I think he, he's playing Dominic team, so he might not make it. Um, but I, I, that was the big story, sports story. Impressive. Cheese <laughs> will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, why a man once on a presidential ticket, Joe Lieberman, is pushing for a third option in the 2024 election, a unity ticket with one Democrat and one Republican. Can it happen? Nearly half of Americans, he says, are unhappy with the current choices. Beyond the unpopularity of the two potential unlikely presidential candidates is the fact that if either one of them is elected, politics in Washington is unlikely to be less partisan and more productive and more problem solving. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. We are a little more than 300 days out from the 2024 general election in the United States. Already? A matchup that at this point seems destined to be a rematch of the 2020 contest between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. 
Not if Joe Lieberman has anything to say about it. The former longtime Democratic senator is in a bit of a public tiff with his party. Lieberman is the founding co-chair of No Labels, an independent group aiming to present a third option to voters this November, a possible centrist, bipartisan unity ticket. Democrats supporting President Biden's re-election say this effort threatens to peel away needed votes, setting up a spoiling that Joe Lieberman, as part of the losing ticket in the brutal 2000 election and recount fight, well, Joe Lieberman should be intimately aware of that. The third-party candidate in 2000, Ralph Nader, is still being blamed for siphoning potential votes from the Gore-Lieberman ticket. Here's Senator Lieberman on our TV broadcast today. I'll turn it over to Becky Quick. Sir, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you. Uh, great to be with you. Senator, let, let's talk a little bit about no labels and your plans for 2024. The idea of taking a Republican and a Democrat and putting them on the ticket together, um, how's that do when you, when you poll people and ask them? Well, right now it does pretty well. I mean, no labels was formed uh, in 2010 to try to break the partisan gridlock in Washington and get our elected representatives there working together to get something done for the country instead of just fighting each other. And we've done pretty well at electing um, centrist Republicans and Democrats to Congress. We've been responsible for some of the big accomplishments like the infrastructure bill and chips, et cetera. But this time, as we approached the national election, our members felt very strongly that uh, both parties were headed toward dominating candidates, former President Trump, President Biden, who are not popular. And uh, if you ask the American people, are you satisfied with the choice of Trump and Biden for president, 60 to 70 percent say no. And uh, for us, uh, beyond the unpopularity of the two potential and likely presidential candidates is the fact that if either one of them is elected, uh, politics in Washington is unlikely to be less partisan and more productive and more problem solving. So we as an organization are working really hard right now to qualify a third line for third choice on the ballots across the country. And uh, if we think that, that we can do it constructively next year, uh, we'll offer our line to a bipartisan unity ticket, which is really an unprecedented, at least since Abraham Lincoln. But our country is in some, such tough shape politically that it needs to be shaken up in that way. And maybe this is the moment. Right now, we're just creating an option and uh, we'll see whether we're, we're able to use it next March or April, let's say. Next March, you mean this March or April? Oh, the following year. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're in a new year. We're in 2024, okay. yeah. I, I, Sorry. I, uh, that's okay. I, I think you are on 12 state ballots at this point. I think your goal yeah. is to get to potentially 34. And right. that, that, that's great. But if you're not on the ballot in all 50 states, I don't know how you think you stand a chance of, 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 of winning. Yeah. I understand how you could disrupt the election, but I don't yeah. know that you have any shot at winning. Well, I mean, a good question. So th this gets us into the weeds a little bit. I'll do it quickly. Uh, as, a, as a nonprofit uh, political organization, uh, we, we can work to qual qualify for a third line on the ballot, but we can't do it in more than 34 states <clears throat> based on the law of the states. Uh, after that, if we nominate a ticket or offer our line, let's put it that way more accurately, 
to a ticket. They'll declare, that ticket bipartisan will declare under the Federal Election Commission, and then it can qualify for the ballot in the remaining 16 states. But we're really focused, you know, the way the Electoral College is shaped up in recent elections, it's the so-called swing states that really determine uh, who's going to be our president. And so we're really working hard to make sure we qualify in every swing state. And we're doing really well at that. We're, we're working now in 27 states. Uh, this is the, the part of what we're doing that uh, uh, keeps me up at night, as they say. But all the people are running the ballot access, the petition carrying in the states, say we're right on schedule and they're confident by the time we decide whether uh, to offer our lines to a bipartisan unity ticket, uh, that we will we will have achieved ballot uh, status in 34 states, and then the ticket uh, can take it from there. Senator, some of the skepticism about no labels comes from the fact that you mentioned it's a not-for-profit. Uh, therefore, it does not have to disclose who their donors are, and there's no contribution limit. You've raised something like $60 million with the aim of raising more this year, but we have no visibility on who those donors are, except to say we do know that most of the donations have come from a small number of very large donors. Why not just disclose them? Well, uh, really to respect the privacy at this point of the people who are contributing, uh, that's the law. Incidentally, some of the um, political organizations that are attacking us for what we're doing have exactly the same legal status we have and don't disclose their donors. But just l let me assure everybody that um, all we can do, no, no labels, is to qualify for the ballot, a third choice line. And uh, then we turn it over to a bipartisan unity ticket. Think about it, how different that would be. Uh, and that ticket has to file under the federal election law and all its donors um, would be uh, public, just the way every other presidential candidates' uh, donors are. So there'll be a lot of time for full uh, uh, disclosure when, when and if there's actually a, a bipartisan unity ticket running next year. I, I think the American people are really yearning for, almost demanding a third choice. They're, they're fed up with the two major parties. Almost half the people in our country today, if you ask them, say they're uh, independents. Uh, more than twice as many as say they're either Republicans or Democrats. And that is a market rejection of the two major parties. The people are crying out uh, for a third choice. They want their representatives right up to the White House in Washington to stop fighting each other and start fixing some of our major problems like <clears throat> immigration, border security, uh, the national debt and uh, the quality of our uh, education system, really what our future uh, is all about. Which gets to the, the question of who would be on the ticket. Um, Joe Manchin has been mentioned as a potential candidate. Um, Larry Hogan, former governor of, Mar governor of Maryland. Um, who, who would be on the ticket? Well, uh, not, <clears throat> not clear yet. I mean, Joe Manchin and Larry Hogan are both uh, bipartisan centrists with great records. And if they were interested, they certainly deserve consideration. I'll tell you right now, No Labels is focused on getting that third line on, on those 34 uh, 
state ballots that we can. But we've also begun to ask our members across the country uh, for their suggestions. And individually, we're beginning to reach out to people um, who we think might be great candidates and ask them if they're interested. And uh, right now, nobody's saying no, but nobody's saying, yes, I'm ready to declare. It's a big decision. And um, uh, we expect that uh, after uh, now this month, we're beginning to formalize the process. We're going to have a committee that will consider the candidates, vet them, uh, and see which ones are really ready to go. And then uh, that committee, on which I hope to be a member and expect I will be, will make a recommendation to uh, a convention, a no-labels convention, which will meet uh, probably in March, maybe April, uh, to, to nominate a ticket if there is a ticket to run. Incidentally, we've said we'll only do this if we feel it's constructive, that we can make a real difference uh, in, in our government and in our politics. And secondly, if we can get top-tier candidates to be willing to run on a bipartisan unity ticket. Right now, I think we could do both, but um, we're, we're going to we're going to have to make a tough judgment uh, in a couple of months. So, a couple of months is really the time frame we're talking. This, this has to be figured yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it could be. We've said earlier that we would wait until after Super Tuesday, the big primary day in March, because uh, recent history says that both major parties will uh, know definitively who their candidate will be. Right now, it honestly could be earlier. I mean, both President Trump and President Biden could pretty obviously be the candidates of their uh, parties by sometime in February, based on the results in the early uh, caucus and primary states. And if that's the case, then we'll swing in a gear and um, uh, see if we're ready to offer the American people a very different from uh, Trump and Biden's third choice of a ticket that has a Republican and a Democrat on it and is committed to restoring national unity, really, and stopping the, the, the nonsense that goes on uh, in our government in Washington uh, these days. Senator Lieberman, thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll come back and give us updates. We appreciate your time. I, I look forward to it. Thanks. I, I appreciate the conversation. Up next on Squawk Pod, Dr. Scott Gottlieb on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina on the year ahead in health and for those ubiquitous weight loss drugs. The key question remains whether or not the mechanism of these drugs, which still isn't fully understood, is going to end up treating a broader range of conditions and chronic diseases. We'll be right back. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. 
Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Robert Frank along with Becky Quick and Mike Santoli. Treasury yields this morning are looking right at around well, where they've been. The 10 year is yielding just under 4%. Two years at 4.3%. You've got the 30 year at 4.1%. Mike? Yeah, a bit of an unwind trade of what happened at the end of last year. So you're having people in a new tax year selling some of the winners and buying and selling also some bonds, which really were uh, up a lot. So 396 on the 10 year uh, is up eight uh, basis. Is points. January also typically sort of slight correction month for the Santa Claus rally? A Not to make too much of seasonality. Well, the Santa Claus rally thing is just like this, you know, seven trading day period, you know, five, last five days of one year, first two of the next. But yes, sometimes you get a big kind of um, 180 degree effect where it's just kind of because of tax reasons, because of stuff that got beaten up. But the January effect is really the outperformance of small caps and laggard stocks is usually what characterizes mm. it. We small got that. Pretty right. well. We got right. it in November and December, yeah. so it's unclear. And we got the Santa Claus yeah. rally before yeah. before Santa came this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not strictly rally. speaking, but yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, Long you know, we, we have some, you know, house money to, to maybe play with here uh, in the beginning part of this year. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. We define broadly. 2024 is set to be a big year for weight loss drugs as Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly both prepared to release the latest developments for their products, including using them for more than just obesity. That could give these drugs the potential to be covered more broadly, such as by Medicare. And joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He is former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. And, and Dr. Gottlieb, first of all, good morning and, and welcome. Uh, second of all, let's talk about what these drugs, for 2023, it was huge for these drugs. What are these new developments? What do you expect to hear? Yeah, a lot of data is going to come out this year that's going to be important, I think, to building the thesis around these drugs. Analysts expect upwards of 14 million people to be on these medicines by 2030. That's about 5 percent of the population. Right now, you have about 2 percent of the population, less than 2 percent on these medicines. And I think if you're going to see uh, continued growth and, and fast growth, it's really going to turn on two trends that are going to start to unfold in greater um, magnitude this year. First, success, demonstration of success in preventing other comorbidities that are associated with weight gain, like dementia, like uh, obstructive sleep apnea, cardiovascular disease, which we saw data on last year, and then just continued innovation in the pipeline. Follow-on products that both Novo and Lilly, as well as other companies, have in development right now that target different components of the GLP-1 pathway and different pathways in addition to GLP-1 that so far in early-stage trials have shown more substantial weight loss than the existing class of drugs, sometimes associated with fewer side effects. Um, on the first point, Novo was really the first company, I think, to put out substantial data showing a large risk in a reduction of cardiovascular outcomes, adverse cardiovascular outcomes like stroke and heart attack in patients with known cardiovascular disease. European and American regulators are reviewing that data right now for a proposed label expansion for the Novo's drug Wagovi. That should happen by June. That's going to be a major event, I think, in driving not just utilization of that drug, but also uh, reimbursement. Lilly, for its part, has a number of trials underway, some of which are going to read out this year for its drug Zepbound, um, looking at things such as obstructive sleep apnea, where they're expecting data probably in the first quarter of this year, and in heart failure, where they're expecting data perhaps by the second quarter of this year. If those studies both come in positive, that's going to continue to build the thesis for using these drugs to reduce uh, events and, and risks that are associated with weight gain. Are these really miracle drugs? I mean, that sounds amazing if it plays out. Do you worry at all? 
Well, look, I think a key question remains whether or not the mechanism of these drugs, which still isn't fully understood, um, is going to end up treating a broader range of conditions and chronic diseases as you achieve the weight gain associated with these drugs. There's a lot of metabolic imprinting that happens in adipose tissue, in fatty tissue, that groups are now starting to look at. And there is some belief that by reducing adipose tissue, you are resetting both the body's metabolic state as well as its inflammatory state. And that's driving some of these secondary benefits, the magnitude of some of these secondary benefits that you're seeing from the substantial weight loss that these drugs help induce. I think if that thesis continues to build, and again, there's going to be important data coming out this year, combined, both companies have about 15 trials underway looking at secondary benefits of these drugs in diseases that are associated with weight gain. If, those, if that data continues to come in positive, like the SELECT trial, which I think surprised people, the magnitude of the benefits seen in that trial, I think that's going to build an important thesis for the use of these drugs in a much broader range of conditions. And Dr. Gottlieb, a lot of these secondary benefits uh, clearly coming from just losing weight and building a case for insurance to cover more of these patients and more of the spending. Where are we at with how much insurance is covering? What are the qualifications and how could that affect the growth of these drugs going forward? Yeah, right now, insurers are being difficult with coverage of these drugs. They're requiring prior authorization. A lot of them require concomitant use of other strategies to help reduce weight in, in association with these drugs. I think that's to put some burden on patients, um, making choices about using these drugs. But the reality is that both companies are constrained right now by supply, and the expectation is that whatever supply comes onto the market is going to get used and going to get reimbursed as coverage continues to build through the decade. I think as you start to see trials come out, like the SELECT trial, showing a substantial risk of cardiovascular outcomes, adverse cardiovascular outcomes, in a largely well-treated population, that population was treated with statins and hypertension medications. As you start to see data like that come out, assuming these trials that are going to be due out this year continue to show that kind of positive trend, that's going to put pressure on insurers to cover this. You're going to see cardiologists wanting to prescribe this drug because it opens up a whole new way to try to reduce risk in patients. And think ultimately Medicare is going to end up covering these drugs as well. Um, probably by 2027, 2028, it will require some intervention from Congress, most likely. Scott, we're almost out of time, but very quickly, anything else we can look forward to in 2024? Because honestly, I'm sick of hearing about all of these weight loss drugs. I hope there's something else exciting being developed. Yeah, look, there's, there's going to be a lot of things coming out that are in pipelines right now. I think you're going to see continued advances with cell and gene therapies this year. There's a number of cell therapies that are being um, studied right now where FDA is going to make decisions. I think also continued um, recognition of the benefits of cell therapy and some autoimmune diseases like lupus, that could be a very big outcome. All right, that is something to look forward to. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. Mike, Robert, want to thank both of you guys for being here. In fact, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Make sure you join us then. And that's Squawk Pod for today, our first podcast of 2024. Thanks for starting your new year with us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern or get the best of our show when you follow this podcast. You can listen to Squawk Pod anytime. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. CEOs are in the business of making decisions, and it's the outcome of those decisions that define their success. Hi, I'm Sam Reese, CEO of Vistage. For more than 65 years, we've engaged with more than 100,000 executives on this twisting leadership journey that we call a life of climb. 
Join me on Life of Climb podcast to hear firsthand stories from CEOs about the challenges they've overcome and the lessons they've learned along the way. Listen to a Life of Climb wherever you get your podcasts or at vistage.com slash podcast.